Show me the money! I need to feel you, Jerry! Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! Uh, if you're listening to this right now, you're in a good position because you are going to get exclusive Canada Pinball Podcast content. I'm calling this the Canada's Pinball Podcast Pay for Play Club. All of you out there who are listening to this right now, and it's not a lot of people, you have contributed and donated to Canada's Pinball Podcast. So for you and you alone, you are going to get access to these shows. These are going to be a SoundCloud link that only people who have this link can listen to these podcasts. So I hope you keep it to yourself. And I hope you enjoy it because I'm going to give you shows that are going to be a little bit more raw. I'm going to be a little bit more strident. I will do my best to tell you news and rumors on this pay-for-play channel before it hits the major show I do because I think you deserve it. And you've given to me some of your hard-earned money when you didn't have to. And you've shown your support for Canada's Pinball Podcast when you didn't have to. And when I started doing this podcast so many years ago, I didn't do it for the money. I didn't do it for the fame or the twippies or anything. I simply started my show because I was banned by the number one forum about pinball. I was banned for speaking my mind. And I mean this when I say it. If you go back to Pinside, and you try to find the reason I was banned, you will never find a reason that is good enough to warrant me being banned from that site. Now, I don't wanna go back there. I don't care about going back there. But what happened in that moment when they decided that Canada's voice isn't a voice we want in this hobby, and look what's happened since. The number one show four years in a row. And it's gonna be five years, and it's gonna be six years, and it's because of people like you. It's because of people like you who tune in every week and support this show and support me because I mean it when I say it. I do need support because when you take the position I take and you go after these companies and you relentlessly go after these companies when they're not staying true to their word, when you go after these designers when they get lazy and don't put creative stuff into their games, when you go after these pinball personalities out there that just endlessly cheerlead this industry, right? The agendas that they have is so disgusting to me. The slanted agendas of so many of the people out there that are supposedly looking out for you, the pinball customer. But the truth is they're just looking out for the companies and they're looking out for their friends in the industry. You're the last person they care about. But they mislead you and they, they, they pretend like, oh yeah, we're all about pinball and expanding pinball. No, they're about expanding their pockets, selling you stuff making sure the companies are, are selling more games. That's not what we need more of. What we need more of is people keeping these companies honest, is people basically saying, we're not going to spend this much money unless we get a quality product that these companies will stand behind. And I also believe, and I firmly believe this, and I'm going to be more strident on these sort of, uh, you know, behind the paywall shows. I think there is such a lack of creativity in pinball. It's absolutely pathetic. When you think about the amazing worlds under glass that could be created, and then you look at games like Mandalorian, it's freaking pathetic. They can do so much better, and you know it. Like deep down in your gut, deep down in your heart, you know that these games are simply built to a cost. They're not building a dream. 
They're not building what they're imagining. They're building to a cost. And we're going to talk about that on this episode. But we're also going to give you news, rumors, and speculations, hopefully before it hits my main show. Let's start out with one right now. So here's something no one's heard yet that you're going to get first. Spooky Pinball has two games fully designed, ready to go. Let me repeat that. There are two spooky titles, fully designed, ready to go. And the second one is not TNA 2.0. That is also ready to go. TNA 2.0 will simply be TNA inside the Rick and Morty cabinet. But Charlie has two new titles. Now, I've been saying that it's Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street, and I have really good sources on both. So perhaps it is actually both of them, that it's not one or the other. So we will see what will happen. The other thing that's happening over at Spooky right now is they are expanding their operation. And the other thing I'm hearing is that that new building that is adjacent or right next to the current building, that will be for line number two. So Spooky Pinball will be a company now that will actually manufacture two games at one time. They are not gonna use line one and line two for one title. So this gets really interesting that Spooky Pinball could possibly, could possibly make two games in 2021 or reveal two games and get them out to us. I think it's gonna be Nightmare on Elm Street and the second title I'm hearing is a more family-friendly theme along the lines of like a family guy kind of theme. So I'm not sure what that theme is. I don't think it's Scooby-Doo, but you are gonna see Spooky Pinball give us a horror movie game and a more family-friendly, campy game as well. So they've clearly learned that the Rick and Morty sort of audience, that works. And when you go to a broader fan base, that works. Spooky Pinball cannot only be spooky-themed titles. Now, for me, the main thing with Spooky Pinball is making a game that actually shoots well. Because as much as Rick and Morty sold out in four hours, as cool as that theme is, as neat as the callouts are in Rick and Morty, the game shoots atrociously. And I don't mean to be rude, but I'm going to be rude a little bit. I don't know how they ended up after that Whitewood making a game that shoots that way. And I owned it, and I played it for a really long time. And as much as I love what Scott has brought to pinball, design and geometry are not his strong suits. And this game, there's something about it, and something happened with the the way they made this game where they moved stuff around on the left side of the play field, and then they didn't move the upper right flipper. And it's just not satisfying. I'm sorry, but a pinball machine should be satisfying to shoot. I'd rather have the difficulty come from needing to hit multiple shots in a row, right? Make the game hard via the code. Don't make the game hard because the shot geometry is crap. Don't make it a clunk fest. And that is what Rick and Morty is to me. It's just this really bad shooting game. And I also think Rick and Morty is a game that just doesn't have many toys in it. When you own it, you'll see this. There really is nothing happening that's truly magical and wonderful underneath the glass. And that is what I want from in pinball. And you know me, I don't stop beating this drum. This is a theme where you're going through a portal and you could come out in multiple areas of the universe. That's that's what Rick and Morty is all about, right? And yet when you play the game, you go into the same spot, it comes out the same spot. There's nothing magical about the ball going into the upper left garage and it just shoots out the same subway every single time. Really? 
couldn't have a more unique subway system. You couldn't have the ball slowly go into the portal a la the Lord of the Ring ring. No, no, there's just nothing in this game. It really is like TNA with ramps. It, it really is. And so I hope that Spooky's next title just puts way more fun into it. I hope it puts more fun in a physical level into the game. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit on this podcast because I do think that physical fun and physical things that interact with the ball, it's the last thing these companies want you to demand nowadays. They want to put all the effort into static things that don't break. Static things like code, like once you design the code, it's done. It's not going to break. Once you design the artwork, it's done. It's not going to break. That is where Stern puts so much of their effort. Name me a Stern mechanism that's made you say, wow. And I asked that question, T-Rex. The only thing people bring up is the damn T-Rex. Okay, you look at the Mandalorian and you tell me Brian Eddy, the man who made the Medieval Madness Castle, made this game. He's not as great as people think he is. Brian Eddy and all these designers from the Bally Williams days, they all suffer from the same thing. They needed a team of engineers to make them look great. The real heroes in pinball, the real people that made those Bally Williams games so damn amazing from a mechanical standpoint, their names are not John Papaduke. Their names are not Brian Eddy. Is Brian Eddy even a mechanical engineer? I mean, when I look at George Gomez's sketches, I think Gomez is the kind of guy that could actually create and imagine amazing things in pinball machines. But the problem is now, but Gomez is not putting everything into games anymore either. Everything at Stern is designed to a cost, designed to a bomb. I really hope that this new spooky game has a lot of fun stuff in it. And here's the other thing I'm hearing is that the art package on it though. I'm hearing this will be some of the nicest art package on any game ever. So when you see this new spooky game, prepare to be blown away from an artistic standpoint alone. I heard by someone who saw the new game. They said, Chris, this game's going to sell on art alone. And that's great and all. That's great and all, but I don't want games to sell on art alone. I want there to be more under the glass that is amazing and magical and makes you say, wow, I wonder what that does. Shouldn't that be the brief? Shouldn't that be the end desire of looking down at a pinball machine and say, I wonder what that does, or I wonder where, you know, I wonder what happens when the ball rolls over that section, or I wonder like what happens when I shoot over there. I wish more games made you think that way, made you feel that way. To me, that's where the secret lies, right? In a way, a pinball machine is like a ride at Disney World. And you want to be in this sort of state of suspended disbelief as you watch the ball rolling around that little world under glass. And I just don't feel that way with so many of these modern games. Let's talk about what's after Godzilla right now, okay? And again, I'm just doing this here first. So I know that it's a music pin. I know that it is a music pin after Godzilla being designed by John Borg, and I think Lyman Sheets is on the code. Now, what is the music pin that we think is next? A lot of people are saying Rush because Borg and Lyman are big Rush fans. I don't think it's Rush. I don't think there's demand for Rush. I don't think Rush is up there or nearly the caliber of music that people really want in pinball form. It's just not. And if you're a Rush fan, that's great. I'm not here to poo-poo on Rush. I don't think Rush has the high energy sort of music that is perfect for pinball. Here is what I think it's going to be. And this makes perfect sense. And this is the greatest counterpunch to Guns N' Roses. Not just because this music is just as high energy as GNR, but because this music is perfect for pinball's demographic. It's the kind of person who buys pinball machines. 
It's the kind of band that belongs in a man cave. It's the kind of band that you want to drink a bunch of whiskeys to and just rock out and have fun. And it's also the band that hates Guns N' Roses more than anybody. And back in the day, these two frontmen absolutely hated each other. Now, ironically, Guns N' Roses actually started out opening for this band because this band was bigger right before GNR hit. And that band is Motley Crue. And I know for a fact that the Motley Crue license is obtained by a pinball company. And who do you think has it? It's no way it's Jersey Jack Pinball because Motley Crue, there's no way it's Jersey Jack Pinball. Because Slash and Motley Crue, they're not friends. These bands don't like each other. There is no way that Vince Neil would follow in the footsteps of Axl Rose. Now, Vince Neil looks horrible now. So if they do this pin, it has to be old school Motley Crue. I mean, Vince Neil looks like a, a buttered up turkey that they roll out onto stage. He can't even hit any of the notes anymore. You know, even though Axel doesn't look as great as he used to, he can still perform at a decent enough level, you know, to appease the fans. But Motley Crue's music, like Kickstart My Heart, Home Sweet Home, Smoking in the Boys Room, SOS, same old situation. You know, I would play it right now, but you know what I'm talking about. That is the kind of high energy music that would be perfect for pinball. So I expect this to be Motley Crue after Godzilla. I think it makes total sense. I hope it is that. Now, what's going to be interesting with a music pin moving forward it Dr. Feelgood, what's going to be really interesting about a music pin moving forward is that Guns N' Roses has raised the bar so high in terms of how to make an awesome music pin. And I think Stern needs to figure out what they're doing because Led Zeppelin was trash. We all know it was trash. We all know it was boring. We all know that they tried to use like the positioning of GNR. It's like going to a Led Zeppelin concert. No, it's not. There's no way you can follow up GNR with Led Zeppelin and then try to spin it as if it's the same kind of experience. Now Led Zeppelin sales are whatever. You can find LEs all over the place and the game has no magic in it. And I'm so happy that the response to Led Zeppelin was so lukewarm because it's gotta be an eye-opening moment for people like Steve Ritchie and George Gomez that when you do this and you put nothing interesting in these games, people will speak with their wallets. It's the reason why Beatles didn't sell well. I mean, the damn Beatles are the biggest music act in history. And look how bad the pin sold because the pin was lazy. It was boring. It's fun to play, but I mean, in a modern time, it's not enough. I don't mean it's like boring to play, you know, because all pinball is fun. Where I'm just going to say that all pinball is fun. But when you look at the Beatles and you look at how much money they charged for it, Nobody thought that this much money equaled this kind of gameplay. The Beatles should have been four to $6,000 pin. $6,000 at most, $8,000 for the Diamond Edition, and they should have called it a day. They were charging $25,000 for the Diamond Edition. That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous. And, and some people bought it. There are people out there that spent $25,000 for the Diamond Edition. And now look at those people. They're idiots. You can get a diamond now in box for like 12 to 15 if you wanted it. And I wouldn't even want it because it doesn't even look much better than the platinum and doesn't even look much better than the gold. I mean, Franchi did a great job on all three art packages. You don't get any extra songs if you spend more money. And that doesn't work anymore. And Led Zeppelin's the same thing. It's like it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. And after Guns N' Roses, it looks like a pathetic effort. Now, let me talk about Jersey Jack and Guns N' Roses real quick because this sucks. This sucks. Guns N' Roses went from being the bell of the ball 
to now the damn like janitor. Everyone is so annoyed now with the play field issues and the the amount of blowback they are getting around this topic, I think is deserved. And I'm sorry, I, I don't think it's a 50-50 split between Mirko and JJP. Jersey Jack Pinball has known about this now for three games, four games in a row. They have nobody to blame but themselves. All of Eric's hard work, all of the hard work was Slash and Keith Johnson to make this magical pin because it is a magical pin. It all goes out the window if the quality is shit. And the quality is shit when you look at some of these play fields. There is no excuse for this. And so now what do you do? Now what do you do if you're them? They're making everybody punch sand. They change their warranty, which basically says there is no warranty. And it's all pathetic. And I'm embarrassed for them. And it's no fun talking about the game now. It's no fun to think about buying one because they haven't hit halt on the production line. I mean, think about that for a minute. They know they have a problem and they haven't stopped production. What does that say about the company? What does that say about the people who are running Jersey Jack Pinball right now? You know, they have people in positions of marketing and communications. We know who they are, Ken Cromwell. We know who they are. And now they refuse to talk to us. Now they refuse to say anything to us. You know, because the knife cuts both ways. You can't only talk when times are good. You gotta also communicate when times are bad. I mean, that's like in any relationship in life, not just with your pinball company, with your wife, with your kids. If you stop communicating when times are tough, if you try to hide when times are bad and you bottle it up and you hide and you think it's gonna get better with time, it's not, it gets worse. Now, where does Jersey Jack go from here? I don't really know. I'll tell you this. My enthusiasm for the company continues to decline every single day they say nothing. My enthusiasm for the company continues to decline every time I see new photos of people's games with issues. My enthusiasm continues to decline every single time I see them post all this jovial stuff on Facebook and then every single comment is like, but what about the play fields? And they refuse to comment. You know, it's like they're doing jumping jacks down the block while the house is on fire. And we're not gonna fall for it and no one's stupid enough to fall for it. And you know what really makes me annoyed? And, and I mean it when I say this, the lack of coverage that this has received from the other pinball media out there is exactly why Canada's Pinball Podcast will always win the Twippy. It's exactly why we will always have the largest audience. Look at everyone else who has a pinball podcast out there. Where's the coverage of this? Look at This Week in Pinball. Where's the coverage of this? This is why this hobby also makes me disgusted. When something goes wrong that we need to talk about and discuss, look at how few people actually want to stand up for consumer rights because they don't really care. To them, all that matters is getting new pinball. The more people that talk about it, the faster we'll get a resolution. Now, people are mad. These are Jersey Jack's best customers, too, that are also being impacted. These collector's edition buyers, they thought they were going to be fine. They thought they were in the clear because Ken Cromwell told us we're good to go on the collector's editions. And now they're looking down at their masterpiece and they're seeing issues and they have absolutely no support. There's absolutely no support. And as a collector's edition owner myself with a game sitting in box, I have number 500 of Guns N' Roses. I have the last Guns N' Roses machine. Now, it wasn't the last one off the line because, you know, they build them in different orders and then they stick plaques on them. But I have plaque number 500 and I'm terrified to take it out of the box. And my enthusiasm to open it up and play it 
has diminished so much so to the point where part of me never even wants to open up the damn CE. I kind of just want to keep it in box and just beat on an LE because I don't want to see this thing that I was going to preserve and I was going to cherish. I was going to play it. I shouldn't have to worry about the play field falling apart like this. So now I don't want to take it out of a box. I almost might just when I get a house eventually set it up and not even play it. Just put it on jukebox mode and, and, and gawk at it, but then just beat on an LE next to it because I don't want to see it fall apart. And I don't know what the solution is right now. Until there is a solution, and I mean this, until there is a solution, until we know how to solve this problem, I am not unboxing that game. And if there is no solution, then I may never unbox it because I'm just tired of this. And ultimately, I think what's going to happen is this one day, Someone is going to say, hey, look, we need to redo the play fields. We need to get rid of Mirko and we need to redo the play fields. We need to remove the artwork from around the post and we need to sell Guns N' Roses owners play fields that have been fixed. That day will eventually have to come. There is no avoiding it, Jersey Jack Pinball. They know this. They're going to have to solve the play field and give these owners the opportunity to buy a replacement play field that will not disintegrate. They can't just let these machines stay broken forever because these owners will not accept it. There will be a class action lawsuit if they try to tell these owners to punch sand. And I know that the Abbas family doesn't want this. This isn't why they got into pinball. Now they've got all these angry people banging on their door. This is why billionaires don't go into pinball. They open up wineries and they open up like airplane companies and helicopter companies and yachting companies and they make all these other things that don't create this level of consumer dissatisfaction. Like you are never going to get people pissed off if you make wine or you make bourbon, but they're making pinball and now they have no solution for people. I think it's pathetic. I think it's annoying. Now they don't even talk to me, right? I made so many people fall in love with Guns N' Roses and now Eric Minier doesn't get back to me. Ken Cromwell doesn't get back to me. You know, I'm their friend when I'm saying how much I love this game. And then when I'm simply covering the topic of hand, which is the playfield qualities, they want nothing to do with me. And this is why Canada will always be the servant of the people and the community because I don't care if Eric Minier doesn't want to talk to me anymore. I, I, I wish he would. I don't care if Ken Cromwell doesn't want to talk to me anymore. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to tell everybody and all my listeners and you include it, I'm going to be able to like hold them accountable and there's nothing they can do. And it's hard to go against me because I'm saying that all we want from you guys is a quality product and we want you to stand behind the product that we spent a lot of money on. And in the future, this should not happen. And this has happened three times in a row. And your entire company should be staring in the mirror and being embarrassed that you've let it happen once again. How many times are you going to shoot yourself in the foot? And after three times in a row, it's at the point now where you either need to fire Mirko or you need to figure out an entirely new system because this is not working. And you had eight months. This is the part that sucks. They had eight months to figure this out when they moved from New Jersey to Chicago. I will, for those of you on this Canada behind the paywall, I will start to share with you some of the elements of episode number 500 that I never aired. I never aired it. It was all about Jersey Jack Pinball. And it was all about the transition from New Jersey to Chicago. And all the different personnel moves that happened when that shift happened. And I mean it when I say it. What we're seeing now. The issues we are seeing now with Jersey Jack Pinball 
when you listen to episode 500, it all starts to make sense. All of this makes sense. The karma, the decision-making that went on, the people they put in power, the people they kicked to the curb. This is all karma on some level. This is what happens when you step on the soul of an organization and you put in business people that don't necessarily know what they're doing and you hand the reins to someone who's not exactly the guy that cares to collaborate and fix problems, you get here. And this is where we're at. And they don't want you to hear it and they don't want you to know it, but there's a lot of truth that happened behind the scenes. There's a lot of stuff that Eric knows. There's a lot of dynamics that went on and there's a lot of people that know the truth that want to speak out, but they don't want to get sued by a billionaire. So that's why you don't know those stories. I'll let you in on some of those stories behind this paywall because I really want to thank you guys for joining Canada's Pinball Podcast and donating to the show. You're going to get a different side of me. Anyway, everyone, have a great day and tell your friends. Look, and if you want to get your friends in on these kind of things, ask them to contribute. Don't just share the link. It'd be great because the support really does matter and it means a lot to Brenda, myself, and Killian. And I really mean it. I want to give you guys some special access to some special shows. And let's keep it that way. Let's keep it that way, all right? All right, love you guys. Thank you again. And we'll be back with episode two of Canada's Pay for Play podcast. Later. The Trident. Poseidon, the god of the oceans, weapon of choice. Ancient mermen used to use this weapon in battle to fight against the crustacean armies and all the shrimps and jellyfish in the sea. Often come out here to this abandoned cement factory to harness its power, learn its secrets, think about life, think about the game. But the same thing, you know. Now listen to what I have to say. I'm about to teach you some things that can't be taught, Ivan.